So Matthew, I did warn you this was going to happen, uh, but I understand that you had an afternoon tea. Yeah, like for a my wedding one. anniversary. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. First of all, um, but yeah, I thought it was quite important given that your brand on this podcast is swiftly kind of coalescing around f- food. I wanted I wish to. It, I wish it would co- coalesce around game expertise or something which is actually <laughs> valuable to me as part of my career. I don't uh, know. A but... healthy instinct of avoiding glistening foods is is very very useful in a job. That's mm. what I wanted to hear about. I wanted to hear about how glistening aspects of this afternoon tea were. I want to hear about the textures that gave you anxiety from the nice little sandwiches and whatnot. Not not a lot, to be honest. It, it was it was a it was pretty um it was a pretty dull meal in a good way. You know, dull. You know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! D- dull surfaces. I mean, it was a very engaging <laughs> meal, but um, what was the shiniest thing? There was a sausage roll, which had a bit of a glaze on it. Lovely. Um, you, want, which is, you want that on a sausage roll, don't you? A kind of varnish. Yeah, I don't... I think I'm okay with varnished foods. Varnished? Oh, my... Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 hard, it's a hard shine. It's not a wet shine, which I think is yeah. maybe a key difference. Um, I mean, the traditional component of an afternoon tea is, of course, the 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 jam and cream Ronald, isn't it? How did you feel about that? Uh, well, so because I put the jam on first on the scone. Ooh, ooh, boo! Well, then you can cover it come, with the cream. Come on, Alex! <laughs> you you hide it in the cream, don't you? So it doesn't really matter what the jam looks like. There's no glisten in 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 my uh, eye line. Um. So that was fine. Scones were fine. Uh, I had a little quiche that was fairly matte, and I had a I had some finger sandwiches. Does egg mayonnaise glisten? Oh yeah, horribly. I'd say it does. Yeah. Oh, I I wolfed it down. So you know, I thought we'd reached a, a sort of a an accord on eggs last week, Matthew. <laughs> Yeah, Alice missed all this. I missed the egg chat, yeah. Which, in a way, I am thankful for. <laughs> it'll, it'll be back in some form. You can't bury a good egg forever. No. Um, yeah, on the whole, I'd say it didn't glisten too much, which shows that Catherine, who ordered it, you know, she knows me well, which is a, you know, a good wifely quality. Um, uh, thus the anniversary. Well, congratulations, and I'm glad that it wasn't too troubling for you, Matthew. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was delicious. It was very nice. Uh, it, the, the thing about afternoon tea is it's like death by a thousand nibbles. There's so many. <laughs> it's like lots of small foods, and you're like, oh, this isn't going to fill me up at all. But after you've eaten like 15 small foods, it just hits you all of a sudden. You were really wiped out. And it, it just it makes me laugh that this is like a dainty food. This is like, you know, it's the food for sort of sort of dainty ladies in Jane Austen novels, and yet it really does kill you, which I don't think they ever mention in those books. Well, you know, I mean, the, the titular regent for that era was famously incredibly unhealthy and had to be hoisted onto his horse. So, you know, maybe it's just something they didn't talk about. 
Yeah, well that's what it is. It's finger sandwiches. Because they haven't got the crust, you're like, yeah, I'll just bang him in. And the next thing you know, you're just lying on the floor. Welcome, listener, to episode 134 of the Electronic Wireless Show, the best journeys in games special. This is Rock Paper Shotgun's PC gaming podcast, and it's the only podcast you need, in my opinion, which is that of Alice Bell. And I'm joined uh, this week by Journeyman. Hello. See what you did there. That's good. And, and Mr. Frodo. Hello, Sam. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Does oh, Frodo refer to himself as Mr. Frodo? Uh, when he's rapping, yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, of course. But only then. Only then. Okay, good. Uh, uh, I can't remember who it was. I was talking with someone about the Lord of the Rings mega extended edition DVDs. And there's all this stuff about, like, like what's-his-face broke his foot kicking an orc helmet and that's the cut that's in the film but also oh, yeah when he uh, goes it's very yeah. real but sean astin stepped on a nail when he's running into the river in the first film being like i, I know you are and i'm coming with you and and then in one take he just punctured his foot and oh. and like had to have a tetanus injection stuff i think no yeah they didn't use they that didn't in include, the film. That isn't one of the scenes they include in the extended cut. No, no. It's him having extensive tetanus injections. I put my foot on a spike. <laughs> That's my favourite scene. <laughs> that is... This thing of tetanus, Mr. Frodo. That's my favourite uh, bit in Alan Partridge as well, where he's climbing into the... To the... <laughs> to the to the members club and you go, I've impaled my foot on a spike. Ike. That scene's a bloody masterpiece. And then yeah, it's so good. American view uh, listeners should watch Alan Partridge. It's very good. Um uh but you know but I was gonna segue into topic, but I haven't even asked you how you are. How how are you both? How are you what I know uh, Nate has got some gobies that he's excited by because I've been receiving pictures of them this week. Gobes. I'm calling Gobs. them. I'm trying to make that Gobs. a thing. Gobos. Goblins. Uh, yeah, they're good. They are um, Australian desert gobies. They are from, uh, I think we, we mentioned them briefly on the podcast after I'd ordered them. Because um, you'd mentioned they look like little uh, banana bananas that have learned to flamenco dance, and they really do. Yeah, uh, they come from a, a massive um, sort of salt lake complex, and right in the middle of Australia, or I think Western Australia, um, and most of it is just a dried up load of salt. But they live in the hot springs that surround it. So they're really tough little fellows. 
like they'll just deal with whatever temperature. I think they can deal with like, you know, two degrees centigrade to 40. Um, and Do they expect heat now, now that they've experienced it? Well, these ones are bred in, in Europe, I think. So um, they've never known the horror of the hot spring. Mm. But they can, it's interesting as well, because you can just, you could tip an entire bag of table salt into their tank if you wanted and just say lol, and they wouldn't mind at all. Mm. Uh, very, I mean, very. You, can, you can do that with any fish, technically. Uh, yeah, uh. The, uh, the not minding part is where that tends to fall down. Oh, I would say. Come on, fish don't have a psychology. It's fine. No, but they do have <laughs> kidneys. Um, you know, and, and they they can't deal with being completely overwhelmed with salt. Mm. How it's much salt hard. would you? It's very hard <laughs> smuggling a sack of salt into uh, the London Aquarium. <laughs> you try you try and dress it up as a child and get it in as a concession. Oh my god. What criminal mastermind you are. Mm. Your child is your child is three bags of salt in a trench coat. So. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag big salt. <laughs> how how much salt could you tolerate poured into your tank, Matthew, do you think? Do you like salt? Uh, Are you a salty boy? I, I, I don't add salt to it to anything. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not particularly salty. Um, what? <laughs> but it's like, it's like the least offensive seasoning. <laughs> it's like taste dust. But well, that's the thing it, because it's like it sort of intensifies. I always think it's a bit of an insult to the chef. It's like. You've you've made this food, and now I'm going to turn it into like hyper food in front of you. Like what you've made isn't good enough. Um, so <laughs> I, I I don't put salt and food out of respect to chefs. Do you, Do want you to use any seasoning? The... I put no seasoning on it. <laughs> I want to see what the chef can cook up with their raw ability. Uh, do you want to hear about the time that I inadvertently insulted a very famous chef? Yes. Yes. Um, so the elder of the Rue brothers who passed away recently, I can never remember which is which, but you know who I mean, right? Yeah. Really like mega big deal, super Michelin star boys. And I, so, uh, for, for those who aren't regular listeners before I lived my current life, um, I was a, a finance journalist. Um, so, doing I'm sorry, you made it sound like you're in like witness protection from, from finance journalism. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's how it feels sometimes. It's a bit like Better Call Saul, uh, only I'm not having heart attacks in a Cinnabon. I'm just writing articles about video games and liking it. Um, now, I used, to, um, I used to be a finance journalist working on various very specialist trade magazines, the sort of things that appear on have I got news for you? Uh, and like, I have to admit, the um, you know, you did get wooed quite a lot by very evil businesses. Um, and there was one business that took me once to the Henley Festival, which is like Glastonbury for toffs, basically, uh, but like you know, Giga toffs and. It was very weird, and um, we went into a big marquee um, for for a very fancy meal cooked by the the the, 
the fabulous biking boys who I mentioned just now. Ooh la la. And I had a glass of wine and I sort of panic glugged it because the whole situation made me extraordinarily anxious. And then this friendly old gentleman dressed, I thought, as a waiter came towards me. Oh, no. And I handed him my empty glass. And then I sort of walked on shell-shocked and Ashley, who was there with me, just turned to me and said, no, you, d- you just gave your empty to one of the most famous chefs in the world. <laughs> Didn't even look him in the eye. But, I mean, he must have thought that I, like, owned 10 hedge funds yeah, I to mean, have it, that it, sort of disdain. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, inadvertently also told a story about how when you're anxious, you are also accidentally very rude to waiters as well. <laughs> You well, don't come out of this anecdote looking great. <laughs> I was very so. polite. I was very polite. Like, you know, because waiters at things like that will come towards you and be like, can I take your glass, sir? And you say, oh, thank you very much. Like, I played it exactly as if it was that encounter rather than a world-famous chef <laughs> coming to greet me uh, before, before serving a very fancy meal. Uh, I'm just very glad I'm not in that job once again. I imagine as well, if he was coming over and he was going to be like, oh, that, I think I'm pretty sure that's at Frog Croakley on Twitter. I loved the thing where he wished his friend happy birthday for, <laughs> <laughs> and he was about to say something really nice to you. Oh, yeah. What if he was a huge <laughs> fan of my tweets? <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I've come out in a cold sweat just remembering that. But Matthew, I'm oh, really no. glad I, I took the heat off you for a moment. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, well, I, yeah, but I mean, we take it as read that Matthew is a monster. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm still working on that character arc. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, we've all been on a journey together on this podcast. I think learning about each other. You know, oh, yeah. oh my growing, God, Alice, yeah. you serpent! <laughs> I knew I saw that coming. Uh, and we're here today to talk about journeys. You know, but I think you know less metaphorical ones uh, and our, our favorite journeys in video games so uh let's let's maybe have a chat about that so this topic was suggested by uh the shagar's heart squad in the discord uh and there's a link to join the discord in the show notes as well because it's, it's lots of fun um, it's very boisterous in there they are. It gives you real power as well. You can choose what we speak about. Not really. We, I, uh, we did get a lovely suggestion that we should do something St. Patrick's Day themed, sort of like, you know, Irish characters and games, but um, thought about it and sort of realised there are about two good ones and then all the others are kind of offensive. <laughs> so we didn't do that at the end. Uh, but we are going to do Journeys today. Um, uh, and I don't know, do any of you, would you like to start? Because I was going to start with Journey, the game Any way you want it, that's the way you need it. Any way you want it, I'm a floating dressing gown. Yeah, so that I game, think that right? was the first draft of the song, yeah. <laughs> Is that the game where you're a floating dressing gown? Um, yeah, yeah, I'll but say I yes. Can, yeah. Yeah, and you have a scarf that gets longer um, if you find 
these little sort of glowing glyph things. Um, and it's really, really lovely and very uh, chill. And you, you are, yeah, you're a floating dressing gown and you're journeying towards these, this kind of um, mountain in the far distance. It's uh, a kind of, you know, eye catching. That's your lodestar. And um, you, it's, it's technically like a multiplayer game, but sort of doesn't feel like it because you eventually get joined by another person. But you can't speak or interact in the game. You can just make little notes and say hello and sort of float around and fly everywhere. Um, and you journey together across the desert, never really speaking, but sort of communicating through movement and sound. And, and it's really beautiful. And it goes like there's a lovely sunset and it makes all the sand sort of gold. And, and then you go sort of underground and it's a bit like a sea but it's still all sand and stuff it's a really beautiful game really lovely and it came to PC a few years ago because it was PS4 exclusive um, but I think I didn't a, know that was on PC that's good to know do you think I just spent like two minutes talking about a game that <laughs> on a PC gaming podcast that we would be able to play yeah I did bold move I, but I was enjoying it anyway um, yeah I really want to have a go now. Yeah, isn't it all a metaphor for something? Um, I don't know. I mean, there is a story, but I sort of don't, it's about a, a lost civilization that you know. I guess you used to that you are a sort of descendant of, and you kind of see the history of the civilization and how it all worked and stuff. In you, you meet strangers in it, and they sort of peep at you. Yeah. As in make as in make a chirping noise, not leer at you through a hedge. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. They're like yes. They chirp. That's better. <laughs> God. Yeah. Imagine if it was that. That would be such a different tone for the game. Gurning yokels staring out of cracked windows everywhere. <laughs> quite, quite difficult. Yeah. Um, so, but you're never really explicitly told the story, but there kind of is one, I guess. There's, there's, um, what's the thing when you have a draw at murals and and stuff, sort of, and pictograms that kind of uh, suggest things. I suppose it's really good. Are they like enemies, or is it very, very peaceful? Yeah, things to a sort of avoid in some areas. Yeah. But there's no, yeah, you, you can't fight. You can sort of uh, avoid and run away from these big sort of carpet monsters that sort of look like it's very giant chill. catfish. It's very chill generally, yeah. Catfish. It triggered a huge wave of, of uh, quite heartfelt essays from various people who played it and it made them think of like, you know, their dying grandparents or something. There was quite a lot of that. There was a period where it felt like every other day there was another big kind of this is what journey means to me article i definitely sort of seem to kind of get get to people you know in a way oh that must have been yeah. why i was thinking of metaphors yeah yeah i yeah there was a lot of that uh it didn't make me think of it didn't make me sad or make me think of anyone i just i thought it was very pretty i i enjoyed journey on a purely superficial level i know it's okay <laughs> it's got it's got amazing sand it's got really good like textured sand where you sort of sk- slide down it. It's it's got a really nice sort of um, sort of uh, physicality to it. That as a as a simulated colloid, 
sediment, where would you rate it next to the mud off of Red Dead Redemption? Uh, I mean, our favourite simulated colloid <laughs> sediment. It's, I mean, it's up there. It's got a very different. It's got a very different like energy to it. Um, mm, well, I should that's... bloody hope so. <laughs> it's tricky because the thing about the what I like about the mud is, is it kind of comes to life through sinister actions, sort of like <laughs> dragging bodies through it to kind of write horrible, you know, and like messing up corpses and getting corpses muddy. A lot of it's the interplay of bodies and mud rather than just the mud. While this sand is a bit more sort of like pure and standalone, I guess. Mm. The mud's this is better, the, I think. This is the best analysis of journey that I have ever experienced. I, um, the mud in Red Dead is is like more maliciously fun, but the sand is good. Um, what about the mud in Tomb Raider? Because I know you're a big fan of that as well. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's quite that's quite sort of superficial. There's only small little bits of it. She's got a good wading animation, but it's not like you can properly sort of you know dunk her a body in it. Uh, <laughs> the mud connoisseur. <laughs> Um, the thing about Journey is you're like, wow, sand's amazing. Where in real life, I hate sand. So, all right, Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> I was going to say we're going to get comments now. Uh, um, so yeah, you know, I, I wish tried to wash like some that. sand the other day. It took f- flipping forever. Sand is so dusty. Uh, I'm trying. To, was doesn't it just sort of. How do you wash sand? Well, therein lies a, a bloody labour of Hercules, Alice. It's, um, well, because if, if, you, if you just put a load, if you buy light sand and put it on the, the floor of a fish tank and then fill it up with water, it's just like foggy for about a week. And then you get a massive bloom of diatoms, which are tiny little organisms that link together to form a thick brown slime uh, because they eat all the the silicates that have been released by the sand dust. So you've got to wash it really thoroughly until water runs clear through it, basically. So I've got a big bucket in my bath and put loads of sand in it and just, like, smashed the taps on, but then calibrated it very slowly so the bucket was overflowing very slightly and the very lightest sediment was being carried up on the current and spilling over the edge of the bucket while the heavier stuff was falling back down. Oh, dear gods, this is dull, isn't it? Doesn't but, this um, mean that you end up with sand in your house and like one of the big selling points of a house is that it's a place with no sand? Like it's not, That's what I like about my house. I know if I'm in it, I won't have to interact with sand. But you've now willingly brought it in and brought it into places... Like the bath, in the bath as well, yeah. Like where you're most likely to put flesh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's a good, um, you know, people buy it like soap and stuff with grit in it all the time, don't they? Uh, this is just saving money on that. Oh, I don't get that, though. I don't get gritty soaps. I take no pleasure in grit. I take a lot of pleasure in gritty, the mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> oh, Wish yeah, he, he was in my bath. I'd be, that'd be fine. That'd be well good. Infinite I'd, fun. I'd have more baths. <laughs> <laughs> we got a massive pair of orange oven gloves uh, that we've told my daughter are the gauntlets of gritty. 
and she likes playing at being gritty by putting on the honestly they're like a foot wide and just running around roaring um really taking off the the big man himself kids love uh football mascots do they no mostly they're terrified so yeah i i think journey is really good uh hmm what what are you lads bringing to the table I was going to suggest Metro Exodus, which mm. is oh. uh, it's a journey in that you're on a, you're you know you're on a train that's going across the country, and each area is also like a seasonal change. So it's kind of a journey through the year um, as you work your way through. So the kind of I think the I think the kind of river area is meant to be spring, so then the deserts like summer, and then there's a very sort of autumnal. Um, uh, kind of sort of summer. It's like a summer camp in autumn. Is that is it's like the third area, um, but I quite like the idea of like a little. You know, you have this literal through line of this train track, and then every once in a while it kind of breaks down and everyone gets off. And there's a nice sense of you know that's a very literal journey. <laughs> um, have you ever you played Metro Exodus? Yeah, yeah, I like the Metro games. Mm. Yeah, it's nice. It's a n- nice change after. I love. I-, I love the first two. They're absolutely brilliant. But like, after a lot of kind of cold, wintry tunnels, it was quite nice to, you know, have a bit of spring. Oh, sort of mud, actually. Another <laughs> uh, good sediment game. Yeah, it's it's interesting. At, like, because it's uh, kind of it's an evolution. It's the series itself going on a journey as well, you know, like because it moves out of the tunnels. Although I still, I have to say, I enjoyed the bits where you are back underground and in kind of claustrophobic situations a bit more. It's what yeah, it does it, best, isn't it? it? It it comes up with quite a lot of fun ways of getting you underground in each area. That like each area has like little underground pockets where it basically becomes the old Metro games again and. The final stretch of it is basically just uh, you're you're back in light spoiler alerts. You're back in the tunnels, pretty much for the for the end of it. Um, mm. So you get a burst of that. But I like that as a kind of a, an excuse for some quite big setting jumps. That's what I like about. I think my favourite journey games are ones where they have like a journey as you know the kind of driving force of the story, and then they use it to go you know make some quite big. Um, kind of environmental leaps along the way, um, you know, rather than, you know, I think other games maybe have to, like, like, if you've got a more, they have to be a bit more coherent if they're, you know, kind of stringing it together. But here, you can use that distance to go, sure, it's swamps, it's desert, it's forests or whatever. Um, and that's that's fine. So outside of a big open world game, I think that's like my favourite kind of, ex- kind of sort of that kind of journey. Interesting, actually, because you mentioning Metro Exodus remind well Metro Exodus uh, reminded me of the sort of the the overland road trip you make in Half Life Two, which I really love journey wise. Huh. it's got very similar because they're both sort of uh, quite outdoorsy post apocalypses. You know, mm. um, I really like it when. Post-apocalyptic games sort of acknowledge that, you know, there's still like shrubs and that. It's it doesn't always have to be like a, you know, your stereotypical sort of blasted desert. Um, mm. 
you know, and if you look at sort of around Chernobyl, um, it's very green, very healthy worms, in fact. So, yeah, I like it when you can just go in the countryside, but there's nobody there because they've been basted. Um, and Half-Life 2 had that amazing section when you're in the dune buggy on the the sort of the busted beach with all the ships up on it and the, the insects from Starship Troopers coming out of the ground. Very atmospheric. Half-Life 2 generally is, is like a big journey game from start to finish as well like you're all you mm. travel quite a quite wide distances in that game um i would say you don't always really know why you're doing stuff you know you're always sort of heading towards some MacGuffin. um but you end up taking these wild kind of tr- tours like that just that opening river level feels like mm. you really go cross country for a quite a quite a while and you know to the point where you can think wait why am i doing it you can lose track i think of why you're trying to do stuff in that game that's true i that's um why it's not a classic <laughs> <laughs> uh there's a um, a survival game that uh i really like i'm really bad at it but it's called um uh the flame in the flood um and you you're just kind of traveling down like the apocalypse was a flood, and so there are just small little sort of islands poking out of this this big river, and uh, you're on a raft traveling down the river. And I like it because you're constantly moving, and your progress is actually it's measured in like how far you have got down the river, kind of thing. Um, and it's good because most survival games you are staying in the same place, and you're gradually building up, kind of. Um, more safety and like maybe you plant some crops and then you build like some walls and stuff, but you never have a home in the flame and the flood. Like you're constantly on the move and mm-hmm. and trying to sort of you, like you have to keep moving and you can never sort of create a a safe home to live in. Um, mm. And I think it's very effective. Really good game. Minecraft was the other one I was going to bring up, and this actually got some chat on the Discord as well, because, of course, now that's technically an open-world game, but what's interesting about that is the the world is effectively infinite in size. Um, Hmm. And I don't think I've ever felt a sense of... I mean, adventure is a very broad word, but there's a particular sense of adventure of setting off into the unknown that Minecraft does extraordinarily well when you just bung your inventory full of cooked chickens and like pack some rudimentary construction materials. You know, you've got your constrained inventory, so you're thinking about a trip that's going to last ages and having to pack quite carefully. And then you just set off on a boat or a horse or whatever into a world that literally goes on forever. There was a a game uh, I was playing... uh, on a server with some friends and we just wanted to find a jungle and we traveled for about, I think an hour, uh, real time and sort of several in-game days until we finally found a jungle. And then we decided to build a railway back home, uh, which took, well, about a month. <laughs> uh, but it was lovely cause we made little, you know, cottages along the way and stuff. And that, re- that, that, that was big geography. Hashtag big geography. 
Mm. Isn't is that the one where you made like little dioramas of like dinosaurs and stuff as well? Uh, that was how that world eventually degenerated, yeah. Oh. And also the the chilling Shrek role play. Yeah. Aren't, aren't there people trying to sort of do that as a community in like Elite Dangerous? They're trying to get to like the edge of the universe and but the the problem is like they run out of fuel. So it's like a big like leapfrog. They is I swear there's some kind of like yeah. effort. Um and that, I think, yeah, and I think the fuel rats rescued someone. They did like a big oh, rescue. Maybe I'm, yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm blending in some fuel because the fuel rats are the they're like the people who go and rescue stranded ships, right? Yeah, the fuel rats are awesome. Like this is it's like a a relay for like if you've run out of fuel, basically, and they'll they'll organise sort of going out and like uh yeah, it's 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 very it's a very cool like community initiative thing, and also just a very cool example of stuff that people do in games. Um. But they're, they're, I've I written about them a couple been, times. There's been an effort where, like, someone will basically go beyond where it's capable of getting anyone back because they've gone so far. And, you know, at that point, you're basically just like, let's just send a dog into space kind of person. There's no coming back. I've finished, because uh, I know I recommended it a couple of times. I finished the, the third book of the Three Body Problem series. Oh, yeah. And there's an awful lot of stuff in those books about ships that kind of sort of go past the point of no return. We're like, well, we'll be dead. You know, if we, if we go this far, the time it'll take us to get back, we'll all be dead. So do we kind of do it? Do we just sort of go for it? I like the idea of just looking into the expanse of space and being like, yeah, I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. Uh, <laughs> you, you, like, you like the idea of it, but you yourself, I don't think, would do it. Would no, you? I like the idea of other people making that decision and and, and <laughs> me being able to me being able to observe it. Yeah, for sure. Well, this really ties into that time we were in that restaurant, Matthew, and I sort of had that extended bit about you standing on the other side of an airlock, <laughs> discompassionately flashing people into space, and you've Why just was- confirmed that you're really into that. <laughs> Why was it that Matthew was flashing people into space? I'm sure there was it was something to do with it was after some kind of like team building day or something. (laughs) (laughs) I don't I don't know how how we got from let's build a team to Howard. I I would enjoy flashing the team into space. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah, like Matthew's airlock became a a extremely local meme for a while, didn't it? Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, if anyone knows of anyone who is doing that in Elite Dangerous, I, you know, let us let us know because I, you know, that's something I'd be interested in. Just a corpse out in space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matthew, never stop saying incredibly sinister things. <laughs> uh, well, everyone's thinking because everyone's there. Everyone goes to the launch, and they're all like, "Yeah, you can do it." But secretly, that's what everyone's thinking, isn't it? It's like there goes, there goes the space goblin. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't say it until they were out of range. You wouldn't download an astronaut. Oh <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, god. Um. I mean, one thing that I've sort of brought up slightly with Metro Exodus, we haven't really considered, like, we've, and I said at the start, but we're talking about physical journeys. Um, But is there a case to be made that we should be talking about 
you know, metaphorical like character arcs or like, you know, journeys you go on as a player in a game. Is that as valid? Is that worth talking about? Uh, I, I just, it sounds terrible. I struggle to think of many amazing kind of character arcs in games because so many games are like, you know, whatever happens to you narratively, you've got a bit of a, you know, whoa, what is that noise? <laughs> oh, no. I thought it was safe. We oh, nearly no. made it through the whole podcast. It's, it's the scaffolding outside my flat. Oh. And I text, it's being taken down. And I text the lads earlier saying we might have to delay the podcast. Uh, but then they left. But now they've come back. <laughs> oh, no. It's okay. It's, okay. it's a little, you know. They've been on a bloody journey. Yeah. Yeah, but do you know what? It's fine because we can cut the noise out of my half of the recording. So if you guys just pretend it's not happening, it'll be okay, right. <laughs> so I didn't mean to draw attention to it. That's fine, don't worry. Um, but a lot of games, like, because you have the kind of power of, you know, you're just your character is getting more powerful as it goes on. I often find, like, I kind of sort of ignore them because of that. I'm just like, oh, it's just someone who starts off and gets more powerful and then it ends. And that's basic, the basic deal. You can map, you can map other stuff onto that, and they, they learn some stuff along the way. But I think I'm like in like mechanics mode when I'm playing games, and I don't necessarily get you know feel the character development as much. Well, Crusader Kings Three, I've been rinsing that over the last week. Um, the, obviously, the new Northern Lords DLC is out, but basically every time a Crusader Kings DLC comes out. Yeah, I'll play it and yeah, yeah, sort of try out the new features and stuff. But it will just remind me how good Crusader Kings is. Um, so I've been playing tons of that, and that is all about character journeys. Um, you know, I was thinking about it yesterday. I think the genius thing about um, that game is that difficulty is an irrelevant concept. Like uh, my mate said, it was a very, very simple game disguised as a very very complicated one because although it's got like a billion and one features you don't ever have to concentrate on them all at any one time to succeed because succeeding is just about your character continuing to exist and getting in messes like so long as you're playing the game you're winning obviously if you intend to sort of paint the entire map a certain color and you want to play it like that then winning is taking over the world. But that's not really what the game's about. It's just keeping your character in a position where interesting things will happen to them. And that generates character journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, admittedly, the journeys are usually para- um, not parabolic, uh, what you call it, um, exponential descents into sin. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a journey. It, yeah, of a kind. Yeah, that's just life. <laughs> My God. <laughs> um. Well, but what about something like, um, Gone Home, where, like, you as a player go on a real sort of journey in terms of like what you think is happening. Oh. Hmm. But that's Matthew's like saying, unconvinced. That, I don't know. That's like saying a detective story or a mystery is like a journey. Uh, is is it? it not? Yeah, I well, guess technically, sort of ignorance say, to knowledge. 
anything involving change is technically a journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this is uh, this is, you know, this is broad. This is that's, very broad. that's why murder mysteries on trains are so compelling because it's the journey of the mystery and it's also a train. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's my deep take. We're just towering intellects this week, throbbing oh, it's brains. Like news, it's like you're watching Newsnight Review. <laughs> this could be Tom Paul and then Jermaine Greer. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to put a... I'm going to put a, a log in front of this train of thought uh, by <laughs> saying... Let's uh, take an ad break. Want to keep up with all the latest happenings in video games? Well, you should listen to the PC Gaming Week Spot or PS's weekly recap of the last seven days in PC video gaming. And mystery Steam reviews. PC Gaming Week Spot is a magazine-style podcast where I, Colin Ahern, and he, Matthew Castle, chat about all the biggest news stories. Don't forget mystery Steam reviews. We also give you previews and reviews on the latest video games, from the big AAA releases to the lovely indie darlings. Uh, and mystery Steam reviews? And Every week we open up the Weekspot mailbag to answer your burning questions on everything from Xbox Game Pass for PC to how we like our eggs. Alright, go on Matthew. What? Tell them about Mystery Steam Reviews. Oh yeah, there's Mystery Steam Reviews too. A little more... Uh, That's our weekly quiz segment where we test each other's game knowledge via Steam Reviews. The clue's in the name. The important thing to note is it's the part of the show where I usually kick your ass. Yeah, when you're cheating. When I'm cheating. Oh man, you are so full of shit. So download the PC Gaming Week Spot every Tuesday to stay up to date on all the important stuff in video games. You can subscribe via all good podcatching apps so you never miss an episode. Or you can listen to us or watch the video version if you prefer podcasts you can look at on rockpapershotgun.com. I'd recommend watching just so you can see a grown man, me, crush another grown man, him, in a stupid quiz about PC games. I admire your belief, if nothing else. So go subscribe to the PC Gaming Weekspot podcast, your recap of the last seven days in PC video gaming. Right, lads, uh, can you do me a sting for the cavern, please? Yeah. <clears throat> the cavern of lies. Very good. Uh, so apologies, so I have to talk quite a lot now, which means we can't cut out all of the noise from the scaffold. But, um, Maybe it's a very pro- mechanical cavern. It's not, it's a problem. It's a fantasy cavern. Um, mm. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, um, so one of my favourite games, obviously, that I barely ever mention is uh, Dragon Age. Um, and you travel all over the place in Dragon Age. So what I have done this week is um, we're going to get on uh, the back of a dragon. Uh, and yeah! <laughs> uh, and uh, we're going to fly over locations in Dragon Age. How big and, is this cave? Well, the cave is like the staging ground. It's where the dragon lives. and then It's, it's like take a nightmare. Off. We're green screened onto the dragon in the cavern. Yeah. The cavern's got a green screen facility, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. I forgot. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I forgot the cavern was also home to industrial light and magic. 
my, my bad. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna fly over locations in Dragon Age, and um, we've also we've got like uh, I don't know what we've got with us. We've got a bag. We've got a sack of kittens, and uh, we've got a sack of five kittens. And if you think it's a real location, you have to throw the kitten off the side of the dragon. And if it's oh real, oh my goodness! If it's real, the kitten will. will We'll land safely and live a happy life in the fantasy world of Dragon Age. Uh, Dragon Age is like full of war, and every town you go to has got a new problem. Is that really a place you want to put a kitten? Yeah, they're hero kittens. It'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, But if it's not a real place, the kitten will splat and die. Even Anthony Hopkins couldn't have conceived a fright this terrible. This is great. (laughs) Love it. Okay, so off we go. Imagine, hold on tight. Whoa. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Watch Uh, out, Griffin. That's me shooting it with my handgun. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so um, first of all, we're going to fly, and these are all uh, taken from the Dragon Age wiki. Um, So first of all, we're going to fly over the wedding, which is a location... From Dragon Age Origins, uh, the uh, the the first game, um, mm-hmm. which it, and it's the wedding from from one of the the titular Origins, uh, where you are an elf living in the alienage, and you're going to get married, and then uh, I think this kind of these grim uh, human guards turn up uh, and kill everyone, uh, and then you as the the elf character uh your well i played it as a female elf but you're like your husband turns up with a sword and the guards are like oh what and then your husband is like no you kill them and then you kill the guards Hmm. and the location is just called the wedding yeah there are a few weird sort of like if the first well, the second Dragon Age as well. They both have like weird kind of. They're a bit. They're a lot more broken up than Inquisition. Inquisition has like big maps mm. that you um uh kind of ha- have adventures in, and then Dragon Age Origins and Two. It's a lot more uh fragmented. You go through a lot of loading screens, I which mean, is why it's difficult to play yeah. if you've modded them on PC because it crashes a lot. The wedding. Yeah. This does what, what's the a... venue for this wedding? Is it like a, yeah. a, a dragon church or? No, it's in, so the elves, so it's a, it was actually like one of the um, controversial things now that when people think about Dragon Age Origins, because it's kind of a, um, uh, what's the word? Like a, um, it's just like not a very good thing, but also like it's it like it's one of those things where like people use fantasy as like allegories for racism, and oh, so right. el- okay. elves in Dragon Age are like the oppressed people, and they get called like knife ear and stuff, and um uh so in city uh, like city elves live um in sort of um uh like like special kind of areas of the city called alienages where just the elves live in poverty 
sort of um, like ghettos yeah like slum kind of so yeah. it's a bit of a weird allegory that they've kind of distanced from a l- little bit in inquisition um uh, and in this it's in the alienage and each alienage has like a big tree um because elves love trees uh and so the wedding takes place like uh next to this big symbolic tree in the middle of the alienage okay this i mean if you just made all of that up then like I, I don't know why you're not the world's best-selling fantasy author, you know, doing that on the fly. So I'm, I'm chucking that kitten like an American football man. Oh, you see, wow. I, th- I, think, I think you're taking different elements of Dragon Age and mixing it up into something new. So can I hold on to one of my kittens? You can. You can indeed. Uh, yeah. It's Have we got different I... stocks of kittens? That's quite... Yeah, sure. Why not? You know... <laughs> Uh, all right, well, I, ingre- I regret to inform you. Nate, your kitten is dead. Oh, no, you, how could you? I knew one of the origin stories was a wedding, but I didn't think it was an elf story. No, I'm it is. The, the only thing I made up is that it's a, um, that it has a separate location. It doesn't. Ah, oh, yeah. I was really taken in by that. Nice job. Well, the stuff, I mean, the stuff that you thought I didn't make up, I did not make up, but, um, and it is a terrible uh, origin that people don't like. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. Uh, nice. Well, that's okay. Got, you still, you've still, you got a lot I've of... I've still got five cats. I mean, really, the, the, the easiest way to save all the cats is not to throw any of them. Yeah, but that's not the game, so... <laughs> Oh, yeah, then the dragon will eat you. Right. Yeah, the dragon will turn its long neck around and eat you instead. Oh, You're going to sacrifice yourself for the kittens, Matthew. No, you could do that. No, there you go. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. Just so upside down. I've just emptied them all out at once. <laughs> <laughs> like when you're pouring potatoes from a sack. <laughs> now I'm shaking it to make sure they oh. fall out. Oh. <laughs> oh. Just a rain of kittens falling on fricking the keep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we're, what so a we're right, carrot. Yeah, sorry. So we're banking. We're banking left now, uh, and we're gonna fly over uh, a, a kind of stretch of, of desert called the Hissing Wastes, uh, which is a stretch of desert um, on the edge of Orlais. Uh, Orlais is uh, France, basically. So, <laughs> uh, so the Orlesians. Uh, are all they all like wear fancy clothes and go, oh, ho, ho, welcome to Orlais. And I'm not, they do have comedy they French really accents. Do, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I can confirm that. Yeah, that's that's nice, unless you're French, presumably. Um, so, uh, and it's yeah, it's a big desert area. It's actually one of my favorite areas in Dragon Age Inquisition. It's quite empty, but it's quite, um, like atmospheric because it's night time and there's like a, it's one of the only maps that you explore just at night uh, and it's there's a huge moon in the sky and you you find yourself sort of galloping across this desert to um, isolated little kind of pockets um, of light that you see in the distance kind of thing um, uh, and it's enjoyable uh, there are lots of you end up exploring like most of the fighting happens underground you find like underground tombs and uh, sort of archaeological expeditions uh, 
that's your main thing. Hmm. Why is it called hissing? Are there snakes? I don't remember actually. Uh, there are lo- well, there are lots of dragons, I think. Do, do dragons hiss? Yeah, they're like snakes, aren't they? Well, yeah, nature snakes. Lizards, you know. <laughs> nature snakes. I've never get tired of that joke. It's more because it's um, it's windy, I think. Oh, right, so the sand is all hissing. Yeah, yeah. Hissing wind. You see, I have played Inquisition, and I, I think this is real, but I... It's been a while since I've played it. There's definitely a deserty area, but I can't remember if it was at night. I remember it being quite small as well. Like you didn't do much get you galloping around. I remember it being like just a sort of a little oasis type thing, but maybe I'm see it sounds quite real to me, but I'm sort of I want a power game this, and if Matthew's gonna you know, reckon <laughs> it's it's real, then I'm going to save my kitten just in the hope of shaming the man no, who has played. Oh, we're metagaming the cavern here. Okay. This is, this is nice. I've, okay, I've meta- thrown my kitten off already. <laughs> I'm holding on to mine. I'm whispering to it, telling okay. it that you're bad. Well, I'm afraid. Uh, the uh, the dragon's got a bit peckish, and it it reaches back and it rips the kitten from your hands, Nate. Oh no! Because... no. <laughs> and and chumps it down in in one kind of crunch, like a like a game hen. Because <laughs> I cannot keep these cats alive. <laughs> the hissing waste is real. Yeah, oh, I was. Oh, yes, two for two for old castle. I was hoping that you would fall for the because there are like three different um, desert areas. One of them is a small oasis; it's got a big giant in it. Uh, one of them is uh, a bit larger, but it's kind of more rocky and it's not as open. And then you've got the hissing wastes, which is the nighttime you one. It might be called hissing waste because does it have like spot like steamy spars? No, that's a different bit again. Oh, is that a different thing? Oh, okay. Yeah. So the thing I'm carrying on with Dragon Age, especially with Inquisition, is that people mostly just remember the castle that you live in and the first area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I yeah. think I, I lucked out with that one. My memory of it's not as good as not 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 all that. Uh, all right, okay. Uh, all right, next one. Um, let's go with. Let's go with the Anvil of the Void. Uh, this is both a location and a thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's from Dragon Age Origins, so I guess the first one again. And uh, it's a it's an anvil, but it's a sort of magic anvil infused with lyrium, which is the the mineral that um, that kind of creates magic in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it is what the dwarven parad- paragon Caradin used to first create golems. Oh. <laughs> We've got an origin story at last. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously there are. Uh, 
like the the plot of the first Dragon Age is that you're going around trying to get the different races to help you out, and the way you to do kill it, a golem. No, <laughs> uh, to kill a dragon in one of those boring final boss fights of all time, and uh, the way you get the dwarves to help you is that they're having a sort of big argument over who's going to be king. And you support one or the other. And the way you get the support is that you um, find Caradin uh, and get Caradin to make a crown using the anvil. I mean, uh, it's, it's it sounds like the kind of nonsense dwarves are into. Now, hold on. Yeah, yeah okay. <sighs> My confidence is shattered at this point. <laughs> Do you want more? I can give you more. You've got yeah. so much kitten blood on your hands, that's a problem. <laughs> Tell me what beasts you find there. Well, it's mostly golems. Beasts always give me intuition. Um, are, are we talking Smeagols or, or like big rock, rock men? No, big rock men. Big, big, they're made of rock or metal. Uh, the twist is obviously that Caradin is uh, a golem as well. Um, because as it turns out, because you can't create life in the Dragon Age universe. Uh, golems are all made by uh, a volunteer dwarf getting into a big suit of stone or, rock, uh, or or metal armor that is the size of a golem. And then they pour liquid lyrium through the eye holes and mouth and then hammer it into shape huh. with the dwarf Why in it. Why would you volunteer? <laughs> well, it was to save the dwarven peoples because the dwarves live underground. And the Darkspawn come up from underground as well. So the Darkspawn in one of the Blights was threatening to uh, uh, overrun the Dwarven Kingdoms. And so they, they ended up making golems to try and like draw, beat them back. Um, oh, see, again, this is all very convincing. But like for all I know, the area is called like Hammerhole. <laughs> and you've yeah. just transplanted all the lore. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to... Be cheaty like I was with the okay. wedding. What's what's the name of it again? Uh, Anvil of the Void. So it's both a location and a thing. This sounds very real. I think this one's real. I just, if I fail, I want to fail with Matthew this time. So. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna chuck. I'm gonna chuck my kitten. The thing is, if a kitten hit, lands on an anvil, it's pretty much game over either way. So true. <laughs> <laughs> like of all the things I drop a kitten on from Great High, Anvil would be low down the list. Yeah, rip in peace, Gutty. Oh, uh, there you go then. Uh, that is nice. Your kittens yes. are both safe. They're going to live a wonderful life underground, never seeing the sun again. <laughs> well, yeah. the I'm going to give like Turkey Boy such a big hug after this. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not, no, no, I no, would no. definitely no. chuck my cats off a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> it's because they, they don't like, like you as much. Yeah, as they Catherine, only like right? Catherine. They don't like me. <laughs> Are you I still feeding I, them I butter? Like, like, I have to disguise myself as Catherine to get any affection from them. Like, <laughs> I have to wear like a special blanket that Catherine sometimes uses. Otherwise, <laughs> they won't go near me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so bleak. Oh, what man. I'm worried about if we ever have kids. <laughs> you have to dress It'll as Catherine. It'll be a similar deal. <laughs> I just give her an untrustworthy, like, aura, or aroma. 
<laughs> the stench of deceit. <laughs> oh my goodness. <sighs> okay. Come on, I've got, I got um, two more kittens to save. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Secret Meeting Place. Oh, come on. Dragon Age 2. That's just, this is terrible naming conventions for like a legendary <laughs> story studio. I'm absolutely amazed by the state of these. So Secret Meeting Place is... Uh, <laughs> Come on. Out with it. Out with your bullshit. <laughs> oh, come on, Matthew, don't swear. You're oh, better sorry. than that. <laughs> um, Out with so your guff. Me- Secret Meeting Place... Is um it's under the Kirkwall docks and it's used uh as uh, a a gathering place by uh, a conspiracy. Right. Um it's a third act uh main quest location. So you kinda don't know what the um the conspiracy is, basically. Mm. Um uh and so it's like a sort of it's close to end game. Uh, place where you just turn up and they have a fight with some Templars, basically. Uh, but it's only accessible at uh, night. So you have to, uh, in Dragon Age 2, you can switch between day and night and um, you get different locations mm. uh, depending on whether it's daytime or nighttime. It also looks exactly similar to several other locations because one of the criticisms to Dragon Age 2 is that they reuse little maps a lot. Mm. This is just, uh, it's, you've put a lot of game-specific details in there, but it feels very vague. A secret conspiracy meeting place under a dock. I mean, if I was trying to think of, if I was trying to make up a, a meeting place for conspirators, I'd pro- a dock is what I'd naturally reach for, I think. So, I yeah. think this is, this is the stench of Ulala on it. But what if, I mean, we've already established that the naming conventions are quite pedestrian in these games. You know, what if so are the decisions of location for conspiratorial meetings? I know. I don't know. I think this is the one that sounds unbelievable but is real. I'm risking a kitten on it. I'm not. I'm keeping... I'm I'm, I'm, going to hold my kitten near the dragon's face, confident that it won't get much... (laughs) I love how much you're both getting into the kitten aspect of it. Really enjoying that. You found a really good uh, device for this one. No, yeah, no, thanks. Um, okay, uh, so Matthew, th- the dragon thanks you for making it so easy oh. to, to eat your kitten. <laughs> oh, god damn it. I didn't Destroy know the dragon could talk. Seconds. It, I, it thanks you with its eyes. You know? Okay, it's big salacious. But Christopher Walking's Christopher Walken's eyes, <laughs> and Anthony Hopkins' lips. <laughs> that makes me think of that movie where Sean Bean, not Sean Bean, Sean Connery's face was rotoscoped onto a dragon. <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. dragon heart. Dragon heart. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that was. Uh, what a film. That was real. Uh, and then finally, uh, we're coming into land for some refreshments at the Nug's Head 
which is a pub. Uh, it's in Dragon Age 2. Uh, it's obviously a play on the nag's head, um, which is, you know, what pubs can be called in real life. Uh, yeah. A nug, a nug is a little. They're sort of a they're sort of a cross between like a rabbit and a naked mole rat, or like mm. maybe kind of a guinea pig type thing. They're a little furless, kind of pink creature, rodent creature, and they're all over the place in Dragon Age. They appear to live in every biome and climate. Mm. How large um, are they? They actually, so this is well, they vary. So um, they can be quite small. They can be sort of capybara-sized, and you can actually get one as a steed that you can ride around. Okay, so it's, it, yeah, it's got a comparable social role to a horse. Is what yeah. I'm what I'm trying to work out. You know, for the for the yeah, nags head bit. They're very common. I think it's more about the pun. Really. So you wouldn't have a pub called the Hamster's Dick, would you? No, I suppose not. But yeah, um, and it's, uh, it's. I did, and it failed. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a location um, for it's a, it's another because there's another pub uh, which is called oh god what's it called the Blooming Rose which is where you go to have your little um, it's sort of like the ship on um, uh, Mass Effect so that's where you go to like chat to your your mates a lot of the time. Um, the Nugs Head is a, it's in Low Town, it's a pub in like the, the kind of uh, cheap bit of town. And you go in there um, to have a fight, basically, as a, a stage in a small side quest. Can you name a drink that they serve? No, <laughs> it's not that complicated. I, I just, you can't, you can't, you can't like buy drinks in it. You literally go walk in there, and then some mercenaries go, like ambush you. Basically, it's okay. Okay. I feel this has just got this. This has got the stench of like the fact you went to that great lengths to explain the the pun, which feels like you'd feels like you you decided to do a fake pub and come up with a fake pub name and then explain your thinking behind it. Well, yeah, and I, she thought of like, what's a common monster in the game? Yeah, because there aren't that many pubs called the Nags Head. Well, sorry. So if I had said there's a pub called the Nugs Head, end of sentence, are you telling me that you would not have asked me what a nug is? I, I, I think a lot of your story around this pub revolves around the pun of the name, which is like, and that could potentially be because you've made it up, and you know that's so that's why you've got that much story because you had so much story about the other places. Can you tell well, us anything? Can you tell us one more thing about the Nugs Head? <laughs> well, not really. I mean, it's the there's a group of mercenaries called the Black Hand. Um, they are you're sent basically. You get a note because uh, someone says, "Please, can you come meet me at the pub?" And you go to the pub and you get ambushed by the mercenaries and you have a small side quest because you like because the thing about um, Dragon Age Two is it happens over like years. Yeah. So. In the first act, um, there's like a child that you screw over, I think. And then in the third act, uh, he has grown up uh, and has... Oh, no, you screw over his dad. It's his dad. And um, he's grown up now and uh, has paid these mercenaries to ambush you. And then you kill them and that's it. In the pub. You kill them in the pub. Yeah. I don't know. This, this, oh, smacks, yeah, no. this, this smacks of the steal the puppet in The Witcher 3. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, 
uh, um, you know what, whatever. But <laughs> it, it, but I mean, it's not as oh, if it, it, it sounds you, like a t- it does sound like a terrible quest. I'm not. I didn't say it was a good quest. I you like a kid, and years later, he sends you to a pub for a fight. No, 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 no. His dad. <laughs> you screw over oh, his dad, dad. in it. Because you're so Varric is a, a merchant, and then um, his brother steals the Lyrium statue, and then you um, screw over his dad in a deal. So then his family is made destitute, and then he grows up. It's like a very small side resolution thing. That's one of those like your choices matter. It's not. Right. I'm not trying to sell it to you as like a good thing. I'm not like. I'm not like yeah. Oh yeah, the puppets. Classic quest. Everyone loves the puppets. <laughs> no. Uh, my my premise for this is not that it's an amazing location that everyone loves. My premise is it's a small pub that you are in for one scene and you're never in again. Your premise, not Bioware's premise. Oh, oh don't, don't don't act as if you've just caught me out. That's well, I think we have though. I'm sorry. This is this is ooh la la. That that's like you know. Imagine in a medieval village, and you know the sinister local priest is giving a sermon when suddenly his face falls off and there's Lucifer's face beneath. <laughs> and then he puts his face back on and says, oh, come on, don't act like I just had the devil's face. <laughs> That's exactly what just happened. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, you're both quite confident for people who've already killed several kittens, is what well, I'm we, saying. Well, we've got no. left to lose. Let's do That's it. That's true. Uh, That's true. I'm, I'm not dropping a kitten on this one. <laughs> I'm going to balance mine on the dragon's nose. So wait, wait, Nate's saying it's real? No, 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 not real. He's not real. so oh, wait, confident sorry, the dragon I've... won't eat the kitten that he's put it on yeah. the dragon's nose. Yeah. Sorry, I've forgotten Bioware's premise for the Cavern of Lies. Yeah, I've, oh, I've put, sorry, the, I've put the sorry, kitten... Sorry, my premise for the Cavern of Lies. <laughs> I've, put, <laughs> I've put the kitten on my throat. I'm that confident the dragon's not going to bite it. <laughs> Uh, well, you're both dead because it's <laughs> real. No, it's not. It's fake. Obviously, I made it. Oh, <laughs> oh glad we stuck to our guns there, Matthew. Yeah. Nice. That uh, village preacher won't be coming up from the abyss to trouble the townsfolk. I don't know. I it mean, feels like I you- mean, <laughs> your quest you made up for it was a lot more convincing than the puppet theft. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> he's still in his puppet. You've got to get <laughs> Loved that. <laughs> you would have. Th- that's the thing. You probably would have gotten away with it if you hadn't <laughs> said it's a really classic quest. <laughs> yeah, laugh. yeah. That's where I went wrong. But I think you undersold this one. You went too far the other way. If we ever do like a best of clip <laughs> show for this podcast, that is my god. If a moment was ever going on it. Ah. <laughs> uh. It was just the the pause between you saying I really like that quest, and then me saying, "God, what is it?" And then the and then the pause as you were like, "Oh, oh, Matthew, how are we going to get out of this one?" <laughs> anyway, the dragon will drop you back off at the cave. Thank you, Dra- I enjoyed that that tour of real and fake places. Yeah, I feel like I learned. I feel like I went on a journey of knowledge. I feel like I might play the Dragon Age series on EA Play on Xbox Game Pass. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you very much uh, for that for playing well in the kind of lies has. But uh, now all that is left is for us to do our recommendations because every week we recommend something that is not a video game to our, our lovely listeners. So uh, what have you got for us this week, Matthew? Uh, I am going to suggest a crime novel uh, called Hide My Eyes uh, by Marjorie Allingham. I think it was written... Allingham? Allingham? Uh, it was written in the... Uh, I don't know. 1920s? 1930s, I think. Um, serial. Oh, no, maybe a bit later. Maybe 1950s. Anyway, sort of an, a sort of serial kind of... British. I thought it was going to be a traditional sort of British murder mystery, but it's actually quite a weird serial killer story. And regardless of when it was written, I always think it's odd when you read something from roughly 100 years ago, which has like real viciousness in it, because I always, you know, I sort of assume a natural kind of politeness um, with the era. And it's actually got this really psychotic character and it's got a, a sort of murder in the middle, which is actually quite like audacious and, and, and sort of excitingly realised on the page in, in that I could just see it in a film. Um, the book's a little bit all over the place, but it's got some really good um, captures like local, like characterful local voices really well. Um, it's an interesting one. Hide My Eyes. I still don't really know why it's called Hide My Eyes, having read it. Did someone's eyes fall out? No, nothing like that. skitter nothing. across the floor like marbles. No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't... <laughs> Quick, hide my eyes. Yeah. Um, no. Um... I think maybe it's like an idiom or something that I don't really understand from the time. Like, oh, hide my eyes, you know. I like razz my berries. <laughs> yeah, like, nice. Did they say that in the thirties? Yeah, when I was at school, someone started like a zine that was called "Razz my berries" because it's oh, like really? a a phrase meaning like impress me. I think. Really. I yeah. Someone also did like a spoken word poetry night that was entirely. Uh, Middle class, nineteen uh, year old white boys called Beat Roots. Oh, oh no, 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 no! Yeah, oh, it's real bad. It was real bad. <laughs> Raz my berries. Well, Raz my berries. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, lovely stuff. Uh, Nate, have you got a recommendation? Oh, do you know? I've been sweating really hard for the last sort of eighty seconds. I'm really on struggle street with this. All right, um, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll do one, and then you can find something on your desk as yes, is traditional. That's a great idea. That you can recommend. <laughs> do we do this every week? I just don't like. I'm a very focused man. <laughs> that's the biggest lie ever told. <laughs> uh, um. Uh. Right. I would like to. Uh recommend the i think i'm pretty sure i haven't recommended it before but i'd like to recommend resident alien television show um i can't remember what channel it's on but i'll put it in the show notes it's an adaptation apparently of a um graphic novel which i have not read or have any awareness of um but it stars alan tudyk as uh who you will know as the rooster from uh um the Sonic disney the pixar film moana <laughs> Uh, he's the rooster in Moana, uh, but he he plays a <laughs> yeah. Uh, he plays an alien who uh, crash lands on Earth and is trying to sort of blend in in 
a remote town uh, while trying to find the bits of his uh, spaceship. Uh, but also he uh, is in disguise as the local doctor who he murdered and uh, threw in the lake. And then bits of the doctor are found whilst also he is trying to perform as a human doctor. And it, it's very, it's very funny uh, and good. And that sounds pretty great. Yeah. He's oh, really, he's he's really good in it. Um, yeah. Uh, so Nate, is that enough time for you to come up with something? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't even saying on my desk. I just cast my wine, my my, my wind mind to lings I like, um, or I cast my mind wide to things I like, and I'm going to tell you my favourite rum. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, and this is a real recommend if. Um, you know, a lot of people think rum is um, sort of horrible, caustic pirate juice, um, but there are some very fine, gentle rums around these days. And um, yeah, they're, 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 I think they're, they're, they're my drink of choice. And the best one um, for a reasonable price is Ron Diplomatico, um, which is, I think, I want to say it's from. Venezuela, uh, and it's deliciously light and sweet and aromatic. And it's come, the bottle comes in like a cardboard cylinder with a picture of a very august bearded gentleman on the front. And although I know that Ron is the Spanish for rum, I like to imagine that this man is called Ronald Diplomatico <laughs> and has just lent his name uh, to the drink he distills. So, yeah, uh, I challenge anyone. Who drinks um, to to have a sip of that and not find it delicious? Very good. Ronald Diplomatico is like a character Bob Mortimer would come up with. <laughs> I love him. Very good. Uh, anything for the aquarium this week, or are you busy with yeah, the goats? Yeah, the rum. Just pour the rum in. <laughs> yeah, that's it. If you, <laughs> if you want your fish to be heads, there's only only you know only the best. Um, no, I'm gonna say. Get yourself some um, point, well, some five millimeter, um, what do you call it? There's a particular kind of plastic uh, netting, basically, but quite firm. Uh, you can buy sheets of it off Amazon. As usual, I'll find a link for the, the show notes. Uh, and if you want to grow moss across the back wall of an aquarium, you know, like if you've got an ugly wall behind your aquarium, but you don't want one of those tacky sort of like stick on coral coral reef backdrops or whatever, uh, you can just get one of these sheets of, of plastic netting, cut it to the right size and it's rigid. So you just slide it in and then you just like bung loads of moss in it, Java moss, um, Vesicularium dubiana, and it will just grow over it in a lovely wall of moss. Absolutely beautiful. I'm trying it at the moment. There you go. Good good moss recommendation. Thank you, Nate. Uh, all right, well, that concludes uh, episode 134 of the Electronic Wireless Show, the best journeys in games. Uh, this is Rock Paper Shotgun's PC Gaming Podcast. Um, and you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Just search Rock Paper Shotgun. Um, you can find our merch store at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash uh, rock paper shotgun uh, and we have seen designs 
for podcast merch, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, have we not? And so uh, that's quite exciting. Um, uh, don't forget to join the Discord. Um, don't forget you can email us with questions, comments, and suggestions at podcast at rockpapershotgun.com. Uh, and I think that's everything, isn't it? So uh, the most important thing is to, for all your PC gaming needs, visit www.rockpapershotgun.com. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Alice Bell. It's goodbye from Journeyman. Goodbye. <laughs> and it's goodbye from Mr. Frodo. I don't think I can go on, Sam. Mm-hmm.